Hello, Chelsea fans, and as always, welcome back to the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So, today we're going to try something new. Since my usual sidekick, Sam, could not record this week uh, due to some last-minute issues, I'm actually going to be recording this episode solo. Um, I did not have enough time to find anyone else to be on the show, so if you hate my voice, I'm sorry, you got to deal with it. Um, but today I feel like we should be trying uh, something new in terms of the podcast, so... Um, I thought I'd integrate as much fan content as possible. So our middle section in part two will be mainly fan questions and my take on some concerns that they have. But before we get to that, we have to preview the Swansea match, or review the Swansea match for that matter, and preview the Liverpool match coming up this Saturday. My name is Zach, and let's get right into it. So uh, part one is obviously Chelsea versus Swansea. Um, Score finishing off 1-0. And yet again, we just fail to kill off the teams that are significantly weaker than us. Um, To be honest, I mean, I was biting my nails towards the end, and I genuinely thought that we should have conceded in that game. Um, At this stage in the season, is it really a cause for concern that we're only beating uh, teams like Swansea 1-0? Not so much. Um, I know Man City wiped the floor with them 5-0, but... We're not Man City this season, and I think Chelsea fans need to temper their expectations in that in, in that respect. Um, just going off of that, though, um, a 1-0 is a good result. We need a pickup win, so I don't care how we do it. I don't care if it's scrappy. As long as we get the three points, um, I'll be satisfied. Yes, our performance could have been better um, in terms of competing for the whole match, and so far, it has cost us. Um, you know, you look at games like West Ham, where... We conceded late. Everybody knew that Chicharito always scores against Chelsea, and he did that. We drew 1-1. Obviously, in this match, it didn't happen. I thought there were times where we could have conceded, but we got the three points. So I'm not going to sit here and mope about how poorly we played in the second half particularly. Uh, What I am going to do is uh, praise a team for looking like they actually give a shit. Yes, our performances may not be so cohesive. Um, Yes, we may have trouble killing these teams off. But that's just the Chelsea of this season, and you know it's it's something that hasn't been fixed since the new year, and I frankly don't see it happening anytime soon. So um, moving into the cup final, obviously fingers are crossed that something does change and that we do look a little bit more solid in the back and in the midfield and that we don't let teams come on to us. But as of right now, again, three points is all that matters. So I think we all just need to kind of temper our expectations for the squad at this moment. So... Um, I just want to get into the state of the squad for this match. I mean, there's really not much else to say. Cesc Fabregas had a really well-taken goal. Um, but the first person I want to talk about is Eden Hazard. So um, clearly he's back on form, which is good. And it's it's actually really good for Chelsea fans. And he just looks rejuvenated and motivated again. And I think he's trying harder now because he realizes that he needs to go into the FA Cup final and even the World Cup um, in some sort of decent form. And... You know, we're starting to see him come back to life, especially uh, especially after the comments he made um, last week about his performances against Barcelona and in some of the big matches not being good enough. You want your main player, you want your superstar, your, your talisman, if you will, um, to go out and be able to criticize himself and to be able to respond to adversity by uh, giving you good performances. And, you know, he has experienced a lot of adversity, obviously didn't have a preseason, he came back um, not 100% fit. Um, it took him a while to get the wheels turning. And then once he did, he hit a really nice run of form, but then just had this really terrible slope. Um, 
after the turn of the new year. And it's just very, very refreshing to see Hazard um, start to play like he gives a shit, to be frank. Um, you know, he, he's he came on in the Burnley match, and we really – that was the first match after he made those comments, and we just saw him toying with Burnley defenders. It looked almost uh, schoolyard-esque. And then, obviously, the, the Southampton match um, in Wembley – performed extremely well nice layoff to Giroud and now this match a beautiful layoff to Cesc Fabregas Cesc Fabregas beautiful goal yet again but here's the thing Hazard is being a provider still we need him to be that killer and going back to not being able to kill these teams off this is when your best player steps up you have the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the world the Messi's the Neymar's the Robert Lewandowski's of the world um, that second tier of players um, that I put Antoine Griezmann in, Luis Suarez in, those guys kill teams off. When they smell blood, they take it. And for me, Hazard has been phenomenal in terms of playmaking, but just not good enough at finishing and putting the ball in the back of the net. So that's something to look forward to. Hopefully he smashes in a few before that FA Cup final um, because we definitely need him to score in that game, especially against a defense like Man United that's difficult to break down. Anyways, enough about Hazard. Let's move on to Timui Bakayoko. So he looks a little bit better, um, which really isn't saying much considering his form this season. But Antonio Conte ha does seem to uh, have given him more responsibility, um, especially as of late. And, I mean, I'm going to admit it's still not good enough. Um, it's still not Chelsea quality. It's still not the quality that we need to be competing to get back into the top four, even though our chances are very slim. Um, and it's not good enough to convince me that he should be starting an FA Cup final. Um, but the signs of improvements are there. And with Bakioko, we got to stop being negative on the guy. We just got to start looking at the positive. We got to start getting behind him and supporting him like we should be. So, again, signs of improvements are there. Um, and that's something we haven't really seen from Conte all season, this ability to take a player who's mentally debilitated or handicapped um, and and provide a um, provide this sort of atmosphere for him to serve to to strive and, and to play well. And, you know, it's getting better. You know, he's starting to understand his position a little bit more. I think he's starting to understand the system. Um, and I also think that, you know, he is looking a little bit more comfortable on the ball, but for me, he still looks timid. He still looks like he's afraid to make, to make the wrong pass, to give the ball away. And he still looks afraid to put a foot in, um, on the, on the tackle, but his energy and his work rate have definitely been, um, a positive for this season. And that's something to look forward to heading into next season. And I've been saying it since day one. I don't think we're going to see the best of Timmy, Timmy Bakayoko this season. I think next season is is really going to tell whether or not he is quality enough for Chelsea Football Club. So moving on to the next topic, um, we have Antonio Conte. Um, and to be frank, the, he looks reborn in a sense. Um, obviously not back to his, um, to his old energetic, feisty, um, loud-mouthed ways. But um, I don't – I just don't think it's a coincidence that – you know, his rumors of leaving the club um, have died down um, because it's clear that he's motivated by the prospects of winning an FA Cup. And, and the second the results turn, all of a sudden the rumors go away. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. But the real question is, do I still think he's do I still think um, he's the right man for the job? And my answer is no. 
I love Antonio Conte. I think he's a quality manager. I think he has a lot to offer us as a football club. But the fact that he was invisible since the, since January up until probably the last week of March or so um, is inexcusable in my book. And no doubt he has tons of quality and there's no doubt that he's a top class manager. Um, but Chelsea just does not seem to be a good fit for him. He needs to be at a club that's going to give him um, more of a license to go out and buy the players that he wants. He needs a club that's going to have uh, more spending power and a club that's going to be more willing to compete in the market. Now, being in the Premier League, teams know that we have more money. So they're obviously going to ask for higher prices for some of their players, um, which totally makes sense. If Antonio Conte were to go back to Italy or if he were to go to Spain or France or wherever it may be, um, he will have more spending power because those those leagues just frankly don't have enough cash to compete with the Premier League. And other teams will know that. And when they get desperate to sell players, they'll sell them cheaper. That's just how football works. Um, the last little bit I want to talk about is Emerson Palmieri. So it kind of ties in with Marcus Alonso. And it, and it has been a debatable topic that I've discussed with multiple people on Twitter. And the banter has been awesome. Um, and although I have disagreed with many of the uh, arguments that have been thrown my way, it's much appreciated. I, I always encourage people to challenge me and, and, and encourage people to voice their opinions on topics. Yes, I have a podcast and yes, I have an opinion. And yes, my opinion might be heard by more than someone you know who doesn't have um, a podcast or, or a Twitter following. But I like to hear your opinion just because you know you don't have the same platform I do doesn't mean that your opinion's not valid and i really appreciate everybody that's been going out on twitter and uh and uh and voicing their opinions so um going back to the topic about emerson and marcus alonso um a lot of people seem to be split on the idea of having emerson starting over alonso and right now it just seems that a lot of people are are, are down on marcus alonso for the reason that emerson has been playing his ass off and yes he's been great since he came in um, since since Alonso's suspension um, began, but you know people just seem to forget how good Marcus Alonso has been for Chelsea. Um, it's no coincidence that he was voted into the team of the year. It's it's almost inconceivable to think that people would bash him for his playing style or what he's done for the club. He's been with us for just about two years now. And we have not seen him be rotated in the squad since his suspension, basically. And that's a problem. You know, people get tired. Their legs get tired. Antonio Conte has voiced his opinion multiple times, and we all know. And, you know, it's just the same song over and over about how our squad isn't deep enough. But particularly in that left-back position, that's where it affects us the most. And I think it's affected Marcus Alonso more than anybody because he hasn't been rotated. He hasn't had a rest. Besides N'Golo Kante, I really can't name a more hardworking player on the pitch than him. A player that puts in more more yards. A player that, that makes more sprints. A player that tracks back more often. He, I, I, I frankly can't think of anyone. I think Victor Moses pales in comparison in terms of work rate. Um, and, you know, we're, we're also neglecting the fact that Marcus Alonso is very good on the ball. He provides an attacking threat from out wide. He scores goals, and he's brilliant on set pieces. And something that I noticed we've been missing on set pieces since he's been out is size in terms of defending him. Marcus Alonso is what, 6'2", 6'1"? 
compared to Emerson Palmieri, who's probably 5'9", 5'10". That's a big difference. Marcus Alonso is very athletic. He could get up in the air. He could win headers. He could challenge bigger players, which is a benefit to Chelsea. That's not a knock on Emerson because I think he's been brilliant. But I just think they're two completely different players. And I think our sample size of Emerson has been so small that we really can't judge him fully. As of now, he looks like he's a quality player. And I think he has all the tools to eventually challenge Marcus Alonso um, for that starting spot. But at the same time, you're looking at Marcus Alonso who's a seasoned veteran in the Premier League. He has experience. He's a, he's a Premier League winner. And he scores goals. People forget about the fact that Marcus Alonso just simply puts the ball in the back of the net. He's constantly providing a threat from out wide. And to anybody who wants to disagree with that, most of the people that actually do disagree with that were the same people that were praising him when he was scoring free kicks and scoring doubles against Tottenham at Wembley. Um, so just keep that in mind. you got to temper your expectations. And the thing that just drives me crazy about Chelsea fans um, – on the more ignorant side is that people jump on players backs when things don't seem to go right there has to be a fall guy there's always a fall guy and you know we saw i mean in the course of the last three or four years we've seen guys like gary cahill sesk fabregas we've seen guys like william we've seen guys like victor moses eden hazard alvaro Morata. Bakayoko is a huge one. Um, Zapacosa to a certain extent. A lot of these guys have come into the team, have performed well, and when they have any sort of slump in form, the whole Chelsea fan base jumps on their backs. Now, I understand criticizing players, and I understand when fans get frustrated when they do have a dip in form. I get that. I'm just as passionate as you are. But for me, you cannot go ahead and boo these players. You cannot go ahead and say, you know what, that's it. I'm done with him. Let's sell him. Because that's a, that's what I'm hearing with Marcus Alonso. I'm hearing a lot of, we should move him on. He's not good enough. Let's start Emerson. We shouldn't even look at Alonso when he comes back. How could you say that? We saw Emerson play for what, four matches now? Three out of the Three out of those four matches were teams that are fighting for relegation. Not quality opponents, by any stretch. Burnley, yes, quality opponent. But they were awful on the day. So when it comes to Marcus Alonso, and it comes to scapegoats, whether it be Willian, Alonso, Bakayoko, Murata, Cahill, the list goes on and on and on, temper your expectations. Look at their bodies of work. Look at the work that Willian has done. The titles he's won us, the goals he scored. Look at Gary Cahill. He won us the Champions League. Real Chelsea fans know that he played that match on one leg. Are you still going to bash him? Yeah, maybe he's getting old. He is prone to a mistake. But guess what? Everybody makes mistakes on the field. Every single person. And the fact that Marcus Alonso is getting roasted for making a couple mistakes is... It's it's immature. I, 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 at least I think it is. Because here's the thing. I don't think you could judge any player on this Chelsea team based on their performances this season. Because, frankly, the whole team has been shit. 
since January, every single player has gone through a patch where they have essentially been shit. The only two players that you could argue haven't been shit this season is N'Golo Conte and Azpilicueta. And if you're going to argue, and if you're going to argue that, then I agree with you. I think both of them have been brilliant and consistent. But when you're looking at the whole body of work of some of these players that get scapegoated every year, it's absurd. It's it's insanity to me. The fact that people go and bash these players and, and shit on them on social media, it's just it's immature. It gives Chelsea fans a bad look. Look at their bodies of work. Look at their pedigree. Look at the respect they have around the league. I don't think I've ever seen a player make team of the year and get bashed as much as Marcus Alonso has. I don't. And I think it's unwarranted. If you could find a better left back in the Premier League, show him to me. Make it known on Twitter. I mean, I... Look, I, I, I'm not going to call you stupid. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say, you know, you're dumb. Your opinion's wrong. No. If you have a different opinion and you think that there's been a left back who's who's been better than Marcus Alonso this season, who deserves that spot more than him, shoot. Like, I'm very curious to hear some of the some of the opinions of you guys. You know, if you're against Marcus Alonso and you're not on board with, you know, keeping him next year, fair enough. But don't go ahead and bash him. You got to support these players. Here's the thing. These players are human beings as well. So if you're going to go and bash them, they have social media. They have Twitter. They have Instagram. They have all the same applications we do on our phones, on our computers, on our tablets, whatever it may be. They hear these things and they see these things and they respond to it. Look at Bakayoko. You really don't think he didn't hear the fans booing him in basically every match since the Watford game? You really don't think he read comments on his Instagram about fans bashing him or on Twitter or punditry? Players hear this and it's not fair to them. And you know, I'm I'm not going to be all sympathetic and and you know, I'm not going to be sympathetic and a downer and this compassionate podcaster. No, no, no. That's not the thing. This this comes down to basic logic. You have to look at the players' bodies of work and then you could judge them. And Marcus Alonso's body of work in the two years he's been here has been nothing short of brilliant. So that's enough on that topic. Going back to Emerson and just to finish up, I think he has a lot to prove. I still think he has a lot to prove. But the things we have seen from him so far have been awesome. And I'm really glad that we have him in a squad. I think he's going to be a great squad player for us. And I said it last week, he's still very young. So there's a lot, a lot of room for him to improve. So, I mean, that basically rounds it up for the Swansea match. Again... I'm not as stressed out as, you know, most Chelsea fans are um, about the fact that we could have conceded in the end. I thought we did, and I'm glad we held on and didn't. I think that's something that we could improve on this season. But if you're asking me, I just don't think it's realistic. Because the way Antonio Conte manages the side and the way the side performs for Antonio Conte, I really don't see any sign of that changing anytime soon. I think teams are going to come on to us. I think it's inevitable. I just think that we have to be more clinical on the other side of the pitch. So, um, moving on to part two. So, this is this is something new that I wanted to add. And since I was going to be on this pod by myself, I tweeted out earlier today, ask me any questions you guys have, and I'll pick a, a few of my favorites, and, and I'll get to as many as possible in this podcast. Um, so, why don't we get right to it? 
So the first question was asked by at Scouting Legends. He asked, how long do you think it will take Jody Morris to be ready to manage the first team? I think Pep did not achieve what Jody did before he was given the reins at Barca. Jody Morris is one of our own. He has a clear idea of his own football, great man manager, and relates with the fans. So if you're asking me, Jody is the right guy to bridge the gap between the first team and the youth team, and, and, and the youth system, excuse me. But in terms of him being ready to kind of take the reins of the club and, and be the first team manager, it it really all depends on what direction the board want to take the club. I mean, if you're going to look at the Premier League as a whole, you have teams like Liverpool who are on an upswing. Um, you have teams like Man City who are on an upswing. Um, Mourinho is finally getting that Man United team to look somewhat cohesive. Um, we expect Arsenal to, to be in a rebuilding phase, but there's still the potential for them to bring in a decent manager and spend some money this summer. So the board just have to sit down and figure out and make it clear to the fans. And this is the key part because the fans don't know anything. We, we really don't know what the board thinks or what their mission is. But there's really two ways to go about it. And the first one is we could try to compete with the big boys by spending big in the market and bringing in high-profile managers and uh, high-profile players. And frankly, that's what we've been trying to do. And I feel like we've been trying to do it this year, but the club just doesn't want to compete with Man City on that front. And every big name that ever got linked with the Premier League move this summer basically went to Man City. I mean, you got guys like Mo Salah. Obviously, he came in, um, but he wasn't really a big name. I mean, this was kind of his breakout year. But you look at the players we were linked with. Alexandro, asking price was too high, $70 million. We backed out. Apparently, we were going to go in for Coco Tolisso, from, from who's on Bayern Munich now, but apparently his price tag was too high. So we went after Bakayoko and drink water instead. The club have to make it clear what direction they want to take us in. That's the first option. The first option is we compete in the market and we bring in a high-profile manager and just hope that we stay afloat, compete for the league titles year in and year out, go through our managerial merry-go-round, and we'll probably have the same conversation in two years. That's option number one. Now, option number two is the one I'm on board with. And this is to go with a manager through this, I'm using my air quotes, rebuilding phase. And give him the resources and the trust and the longevity. And that's the key part, the longevity to stay at the club, develop and harvest the squad so they could be a force in the future. Jody Morris is the right guy to do that. So my opinion on this is I wouldn't mind bringing Jody Morris in. I really wouldn't. His rap sheet doesn't lie. Look what he's done with the youth team. Look what he's done with the under-18s. I mean, they're winning FA Cups every year now. It's a normal thing. And it's no secret that Chelsea has the best youth academy in England. So let's harvest it. Let's use that talent. Let's bring them through the first team. Maybe that means we sacrifice a few years in the meantime. So what? So what? What's the worst thing that could happen? We finish fifth or sixth? We have another season like this? At least our expectations won't be as high in the beginning. We could be more positive if we finish fifth or sixth in that sense. Okay, we finished fifth this year, but guess what? 
Hudson Odoi got a great run out this season. Loftus Cheek is developing. Christensen's developing. Ampadu's coming along well. That's what we need. That's what we need as a club. If we want to save money, and if we want to go in a direction where we're rebuilding, what better place to do that than our youth system? Honestly. Anyways, moving on. Um, next question is by the same person, at Scouting Legends. He said, I personally believe 100% that Neil Bath should be promoted to director of football at the club. He has a great understanding of the Chelsea culture through and through. He has a great understanding of sporting talent, especially for Chelsea. Emanalo started with no experience. What do you think? Um, to be honest, again, it ties in with my first question. It it depends on the direction the club is willing to take. I'm again, I'm all for promoting from within. I think uh, if you look at Neil Bath's body of work, he's done a phenomenal job. Um, you know, it just depends on how much the club trusts him. Um, you really look at how many players got promoted from the youth team to our first team, and there really hasn't been much. Um, so I don't really know his standing with the club. I don't know how much the club values his input in terms of the first team. Um, my guess is that they don't really value his input in terms of the first team. They just want him to scout out the good players. They want him to bring in good young talent so they can develop him in the academy. Um, I don't know too much about Neil Bath besides um, besides the fact that you know he's responsible for a lot of our youth success. If any of you guys know anything else about him, tweet at me. Let me know. Um, again, I'm just an ignorant American soccer fan here. Um, so next question. It was uh, asked by at B Javier. Sorry if I totally just totally slaughtered that. But he asked, can Sari well and truly embed his style at Chelsea in short time? And what are the ideal slash most realistic changes in our starting 11? So I'm just going to answer the second part first. I think the first thing that needs to be addressed in terms of our starting 11 is that N'Golo Conte needs a midfield partner. And I don't know if we address this in the market. I don't know if we address this um, through bringing back guys like Loftus-Cheek. Um, I don't know if it's Bakayoko. I don't know if it's Ross Barkley. Maybe it's a combination of two out of the three. All we know for a fact is that if Sari does come to Chelsea, he's going to play 4-3-3, and he's going to need two partners for N'Golo Conte. And right now, we don't even have one. So that's a major problem. I think that's the first thing that needs to be addressed. Obviously, you look at right wing back. I think that is a position that we could definitely upgrade on if we want to continue on the European front um, and, and and compete for top four or possibly a league title next year. Um, but just going back to the first part of the question, you know, sorry is an interesting one because I think if given the opportunity, he could embed his style at Chelsea. But to be honest, we've seen how difficult it has been, especially for him to compete with other English sides and to compete with sides on a European front. They played Man City twice in the group stages of the Champions League um, this past season, and he was outscored 6-3 to three, um, between both legs, the home and away match. So, yes, I think we have enough attacking talent for him to deploy his style. Um, I think guys like Hazard, guys like Murata, um, Willian, I think those players could flourish and I think they could thrive because they'll be given more of a license to roam forward. Um, 
but for me, it just hasn't been good enough defensively. I'm a purist. I like defense. I mean, what can I say? And, you know, many will argue about his defensive record in Serie A and say, oh, well, you know, he's, t he's second in Serie A. Look what he's done with that defense. But let's be real. Th that league is – they're lacking in anything. It's attacking talent, right? And when put on a European stage, his Napoli side conceded 14 goals in the six group stage matches in a Champions League. Yeah, again, six of them were against Man City, and that's fair enough because Man City has been great this year. But you're allowing teams like Shakhtar, teams like Feyenoord, and Nice to score eight goals on you in the group. That's just not good enough defensively for me. So if you ask me, of course, I'll support whoever's in charge. But I just don't think Sarri is the right type of manager that Chelsea Football Club need. Again, I'm a purist, and I like my defense. I like solidity. I would rather have boring 1-0s and 2-1s than 4-2s and 4-3s, to be completely honest. Because if we could be solid at the back, we'll be fine. There's, you know, if you're looking at the sport of soccer in general, teams that are solid at the back tend to be the ones that succeed. Obviously, Pep is going against the curve, but that's Pep Guardiola. Look at all the other major clubs in the world. They can defend well. Um, next question and the last question actually is asked by at L Dirty Dan. Nice name. I like the SpongeBob reference. But he asked, "What's your take on the recent rumor of Tebow seeing out his contract and leaving on a free?" So far, I haven't really heard any legitimate sources reporting this. But if there is any sort of legitimacy to this, I personally would hate to see it happen. Um, we need to cash out on Courtois if he isn't committed to Chelsea long term, which he hasn't yet. And I don't think he will. And, you know, this constant chatter of his heart being in Madrid and combination of the PSG rumors. Look, man, I'm just done with it. You know, I I just think there's so much goalkeeping talent elsewhere that we could pursue um, for bargain prices. Who will be top goalkeepers to replace Courtois? There's no reason why we should let his contract run out and sell him and, and basically let him walk away for free. We need to sell him if he's not going to be here long term. We need to sell him, get top dollar, and reinvest that money towards getting another goalkeeper and possibly saving whatever's left over because he will go for a high fee and using it and using it elsewhere. Um, I mean, I look around, I see guys like Jan Oblak and, and, and Allison of, of Roma, and they've proven to be quality replacements for Thibaut Courtois. I mean, no, I, there's no doubt in my mind that if any of those guys slotted in, they would do brilliantly in the Premier League. Proven goalkeepers on a European stage um, but you know again I really haven't seen a rumor that's from a legitimate source saying that Courtois wants to see out his contract um, my guess is that he doesn't because he wants to play Champions League football and I mean fair enough to him but if you're not going to be all in on Chelsea fuck off let's sell you let's move you on let's get a different player um, so going into our last part part three it's uh, the Chelsea versus Liverpool review so we play Liverpool on Saturday at Stamford Bridge. It's an 8.30 kickoff um, Pacific time for me. Obviously, I'm in L.A., so um, thank God I don't have to wake up at 4.30 or, or, or even 6 in the morning to watch this game. I could wake up at 8.30 and watch it. So um, six points back with two games in hand. That's how far off we are from Liverpool. Now, if we could take three points here and hope that Liverpool drop more points somewhere down the line, we have a pretty easy run out. I think we play Huddersfield next. And then Newcastle. So 
we could possibly pick up nine points in these next three matches. Um, possibly overtake Liverpool? Is it realistic? I don't think so. I mean, I said last week I hope Spurs keep being Spursy and keep dropping points. And for me, their their performance last weekend was... Uh, I think it proved that they took a step this year. I think it proved that, you know, they're not going to blow it at the last minute. Um, but they still haven't won any trophies, so... And, and, and we're still in the running for one. So as far as I'm concerned, um, London's still blue, right? Um, but it's going to be a difficult match, this, against Liverpool, because obviously the prospect of them resting players from for the Champions League final could come into account. Um, maybe Klopp completely goes for it because he's a madman. Or maybe he throws on a bunch of reserves and just tosses the league in, in the hopes that he wins the Champions League final and qualifies for Champions League that way. Um, who knows? I mean, it, it, it's a tough one to gauge, but all we know is that Klopp is probably the best motivator in England right now, and his side's going to be up for it regardless. And Chelsea versus Liverpool, is, it's it's a big match. I mean, it's, it's big time. That's the big stage. So whoever Klopp picks is going to perform, and Chelsea have to be wary of that. So... What do we need to do to win? There's three simple things. Um, defensive organization. We got to be wary of that front three. I mean, they're the highest scoring front three um, basically in world football right now. And we need to be wary of the attack that they pose out wide, but also of the attack that they pose up the middle because I don't think enough people talk about Roberto Firmino um, and, and the impact he could have on games when Mo Salah or Sadio Mane are not up for it. The second thing is we need to win the midfield. Klopp plays with a three-man midfield. I will be absolutely baffled um, if we see a three-man midfield of our own. I think we've been better off defensively when we've been playing a two-man midfield with in our 3-4-3 three, three, where we have the two inside forwards dropping off into the midfield for support and basically playing essentially a 3-6-1 a or a 3-4-1-1, if you will, or 3-5-1-1, if you will, um, defensively. So whether that means we select Willian or Pedro, I expect one of them to come in. I expect them to drop off into the midfield just to help relieve a little bit of pressure. I also expect Hazard to uh, help out defensively as well. I think this match is just crying for a guy like Ali Giroud because we do need that outlet ball, especially if Liverpool decide to press us hard enough to where our only outlet is to play the long ball. Um, Ali Giroud is going to be absolutely crucial in this game. And that leads me to my third point, break the press. Don't let Liverpool walk all over us because they know we're wounded. They know that there are weaknesses in the team, that there are players they could target. We cannot allow them to be all over us from the go because when that team gets confident, nobody could stop them. And we've seen it in the Champions League this year. I cannot stress that enough. Um, so, I mean, going into this match, I'm feeling sort of optimistic. I do think Liverpool is going to rotate the squad a bit um, just because they did have the Champions League match earlier today against Roma. Um, but, you know, it wasn't too physically taxing on the players. But at the same time, he has to be smart. He has to be smart. He has to give the squad some sort of rotation just to keep legs fresh heading into the Champions League final. So um, with that, I'll give you my prediction. I think we're going to go 1-1. I think it's going to be a draw. Um, I think it's going to be an entertaining match, but very anticlimactic.
because that just seems to be the recurring theme for Chelsea Football Club this season. Um, but anyways, um, first episode, doing it all by myself. I think I've done way too much talking. I think I'm going to wrap it up. So um, next week we will have Sam back um, so you don't have to hear my annoying voice talking for 36 and a half minutes onwards. Um, and uh, we look forward to recording next week. So make sure to follow us on SoundCloud at Romans Empire Pod. Um, also on Twitter at, at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, email us, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. We've had a lot of Twitter activity lately. It's been great. Um, more and more followers day after day. I cannot express how grateful we are that we're getting people to consistently listen to the podcast and engage with us on social media and just you know have proper banter and, and, and share um, basically our fanhood together. So that's really awesome um, of you guys. And, and and honestly, we hope, we really, really hope that it, uh, that it, uh, it keeps going like this. You know, things are great, and uh, we couldn't be happier with where our podcast is. So, anyways, that's enough, and I think I'm gonna sign out now. So, until next week, um, we'll see you on episode 43 of the Romans Empire podcast. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>